Some years ago, while I was in seminary, one of the professors asked me if I would pick up one of their young adult children from the airport one day. And just like Pastor Tracy, I hate the airport. The whole experience really brings out the cheery and Jersey side of me, to say the least. It must be a pastoral affliction or something like that, I'm not too sure. I really didn't want to go. Besides that, I had to be a responsible student. I had to study for my upcoming Greek exam. That was top priority. But when my professor offered me 50 bucks and a steak dinner, none of that seemed all that important to me anymore. Greek's been around for thousands of years. It could wait a few more hours as far as I was concerned. Well, the professor was in such a hurry that I barely had time to write the details down about the pickup. And finally, I asked, well, what does your son look like? You'll know, you'll know, he said to me. Now, I didn't have a Spartan phone at the time. So I found myself racing up to the airport, not knowing at all what to expect. Well, as I pulled up, as you can imagine, there was a huge crowd of people right outside the door. And as my eyes scanned the crowd, with each second that passes, I'm not finding his son. I start to get worried, and I panic. Picking up a stranger from the Philly airport during rush hour doesn't seem like such a good idea anymore. It doesn't sound like such a good idea anymore. Then all of a sudden, out of the crowd, a younger and smaller version of the professor stood out. If I didn't know any better, I'd say they were siblings. His facial features, his mannerisms, his posture, even how he looked at his watch, the family resemblance was crystal clear. For those of you who are new to us, this fall we have been studying the book of James. And many believe that this probably is the first book written in the New Testament. And many also think that this was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And one of the things that we're going to see today is just how much James' teaching takes after the teaching of his older brother, Jesus. So much of what James says shares in common with what Jesus teaches in the Gospels. The family resemblance between James and Jesus is striking. But that's not where the family connection ends. Last week, we heard these words from chapter 1, verse 18. Of God's own will... He brought us forth, that is, birthing image. God brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In other words, the family resemblance of Jesus is passed on to the church. If anyone claims to be a child of God, then what should be evident to everyone in the community and even those who are looking off at a distance is that our lives resemble the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, interestingly, in the book of Hebrews, one of the titles for Jesus is that he is called our older brother. The family connection between us and the Lord Jesus Christ should be clear. But how exactly does that work? Trying your best doesn't get you into God's family. Trying to be like Jesus doesn't get you into God's family. 
any more than acting like others would make us part of their family. My best friend growing up was six feet tall, blonde hair, and a hockey player. You get the image, I'm sure. Well, when he would come into Starbucks while I was working, I tried to give him the family discount, but for some reason my manager wasn't buying the family connection. There was a real lack of family resemblance. Uh, my friend even tried to speak Arabic words to try to fool the manager like he was adopted, but that didn't get him very far. No, trying to act like Jesus doesn't get us into God's family. The New Testament teaches that the Holy Spirit that brought the Lord Jesus into the world is the same Holy Spirit that makes us born anew when we believe and receive the gospel of Jesus into our hearts. When we receive God's grace into our hearts, that's when we become children of God. And that is how the spiritual life cycle of everyone who follows Jesus begins up until the time that they grow fully into the image of Jesus one day. But what does growth in this grace look like? What are the traits that we should be developing in ourselves and in the community that we're a part of? That's what we're going to take a look at this morning. So today we're going to be looking at three family traits of the followers of Jesus. The first is a pure life. The second is a consistent life. And then third is caring outreach. Let's look now at the pure life. Look at what James says in verses 19 to 21. He says this, let every person be quick to hear. You know, when a baby is born, there's a whole list of vital signs that doctors check to make sure that the baby is okay. Breathing, heart rate, temperature. And it's after a few days or even up to a month that they check the baby's hearing. But that's not true in the spiritual life. Hearing is the heartbeat of the spiritual life. If there is no hearing, there is no life. We've already said that in verse 18, hearing the word is what brings us into the family of God. But here James makes the point that hearing the word is what also keeps us spiritually alive. When Jesus was in a hot, remote desert, weak with hunger because he had been fasting for 40 days, Satan offered him three temptations, food to satisfy his hunger, an opportunity to use his authority to assert himself as God's son, and all the praise and respect from the most powerful names and places throughout the world. On any given week, how many of your reactions are driven by your physical hunger? How often do you use your position or status to assert your rights and to assert your authority over others when you are hard-pressed? Or how much time do you spend daydreaming about your next promotion or the next house you might purchase? How much time is chewed up by these thoughts and desires that become the driving force of your life and my life? People think that Jesus didn't eat anything in the wilderness, and that's not true. 
He told us what he ate. Every word that came from the mouth of God nourished his life. And just like this community that James is writing to, Jesus went through many trials in the wilderness. And rather than listening to the voice of the evil one, Jesus Christ was quick to hear. He obeyed God's word and he was faithful to it. And that's what we're called to do in a community of faith where we live a pure life before God. So I want to ask you this morning, what are the areas of your life where you are quick to listen to your fears? Or you're quick to listen to, to, listen to self-centered desires? It's probably in the areas where you're experiencing many sorts of trials. In your health, in your job, your family. And what James wants us to discover is that there is true freedom when we take the first steps of obedience to God. That is where the pure life lies. Now notice he commands every person to be quick to hear. It doesn't matter how many years or how few years you have been a Christian. Everyone has work to do on their hearing. And in the spiritual life, contrary to our physical life, our hearing should get better with age. Jesus tells us very clearly in John's gospel, if anyone loves me, he will what? He will keep my word. In both the mundane and extraordinary circumstances of our lives, we will learn how to obey God's word better and better with each passing year. Now, this is very important. James wants us to obey God's commands for a very specific reason. He says this, he wants us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. So clearly listening to God's commands is closely linked to listening to others as well. And here's how Proverbs put these, puts these things. Proverbs 18.13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Proverbs 15.18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. What James is teaching us comes right out of the wisdom literature of the Bible. Have you ever been accused of not listening to someone? Don't point to them right now, that's not nice. If you're at home right now, it might make for a very awkward lunch right now. So, Think about the conflicts that you have in your life right now. Many of them come down to this. Neither side feel valued by the other person. And look at James's logic here. A failure to listen well leads to harsh words that leads to anger, and that does not reflect the loving character of God in our relationships. So when you don't feel valued by others, maybe because you're like on the receiving end of their anger, what's that experience like for you? Or when someone tells you, I don't feel valued by you, maybe because they're on the receiving end of your anger, how does that sit with you? 
Here's how James describes it. All filthiness, like being covered in thick mud head to toe. Here's another way he puts it. Rampant wickedness, like you've committed such an evil, it's like you are handcuffed by your guilt. Well, James tells us the way to a pure life is to receive the word with meekness, the implanted word with meekness, and that is what will save our souls. If you do that, you can become the kind of person who is quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But how in the world do you do that when you are wounded or if you're angry? It's like a rock-hard wall our hearts can be. Notice what he says. It's the implanted word, meaning it's the gift of God's grace that is already present in your hearts. It's the gift of God's grace that is already present in your hearts as a believer. When you open up to that gift and you start to see that even in your moral ugliness, where you want no part to do with God or no part to do with anyone else, Jesus Christ wants every part to do with you. If you are the sheep who has left the fold, He will leave the 99 to get you. If you were a prodigal and you returned home, He hasn't stopped waiting for your return. If you were a stranger and you fell among robbers, He will stop on the road every time to clean you up and make sure that you are well cared for. You see, when you open up your heart to this wonderful news again, or maybe for the first time, you will want to get rid of the filth of all your old habits, of not valuing others, of speaking too much or harshly, of jumping to anger. All those things we will want to put aside. And instead, this is what will happen. You will listen to others the way that the Lord Jesus Christ listens to you. You will address the things that prevent you from giving your full attention to others straight on. Very practically speaking, you'll be able to put the phone away and get down on your knees to play with your children or to look your spouse in the eye again and engage with them. And when you speak, You'll be able to speak words of comfort and truth to others just like Jesus did. And even when others threaten you or seek to harm you, you are free to give yourself up to the care of God just like Jesus did in His life. And if you do that, the family resemblance between you and the Lord Jesus will be clear in the purity of your life. That's the first family trait. Now, here's the second, consistent practice. That's what we see in verses 22 to 25. James says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And James adds this at the end of verse 25. Did you see that? The one who does this will be blessed in his doing. This is exactly what Jesus taught in Luke 11, where he says, Blessed are those who hear the word and obey it. 
Now, it was said that over 4 billion people around the world watched some part of the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. Were you one of those 4 billion people? Part of the sermon preached by Archbishop Justin Welby said, that, said this about the gospel reading. Jesus, who in our reading does not tell his disciples how to follow, but who to follow, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I want to ask you, how many of the potential four billion viewers understood that Jesus spoke those words not to be admired, but to be obeyed? Whenever a disciple of Jesus hears His commands, they understand a response is always required. He calls us to a life of action. The Word of God always makes a claim on our lives. That's the nature of God's Word. It makes claims. It makes demands on us. It requires a response. It's like when someone shouts fire in our presence, or a significant other asks, will you marry me? Or a company says, do you accept the offer? To respond or not to respond is an action that will alter the course of your life. Whenever the Word of God is heard, It summons us to practice. And how we respond is what's going to make all the difference in the world. Now, notice that James says that those who hear the word and don't do the word, they do what? They deceive themselves. What's he saying? He's saying that they honestly, they don't know the word at all. That's a very staggering claim. Think about what he's saying here. Let's suppose you have a remote tribe in Africa, one that only has access to the Word of God through an audio device that only has a small portion of the New Testament recorded in their tribal tongue. By the way, these audio recordings are how many parts of the world actually do get to hear the Bible. So here you have a tribe that has zero words of the Bible written in their language, But what they do here, they believe. And they love Christ, and they love others in His name. What they do know, they do live out. And let's say this. You have a world-renowned biblical scholar who's a leading expert on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The scholar has memorized the Greek New Testament. They know more about the historical Jesus than anyone else on the planet, but none of it touches their heart. Who is the blessed one? According to James. According to Jesus. It's as if James is saying to us, I know you study the Bible personally and in your small groups. You may even have formal education in the study of the Bible, but what matters most, more than anything else, is what you do after the amen on Sunday. That's what tells you whether or not you really know this word. In our jobs and in our degree programs, only by practice do we show that we truly know. And the same is true when it comes to God's Word. Now, James goes on to talk about the Word of God as a mirror. It's pretty clear that the Word of God is a mirror. And uh, 
when we talk about the Word of God in James, we're talking about the law of God as it's been interpreted by Jesus and fulfilled by Him. As it's been interpreted by Jesus, meaning Jesus' understanding of the Old Testament and how He fulfills it in His life, ministry, death, and resurrection. Okay? That's why James calls the law of God the perfect law in the law of liberty. He's not simply referring just to the Old Testament commands. He's talking about how these commands have been interpreted and lived out by Jesus Christ. That's the mirror he's talking about here. But the question is, as he goes on to explain this teaching, what is it that the person is seeing in the mirror and forgetting? That's where the debate lies. So maybe it's something like when we look in the mirror and we see a defect in some way, and we forgot to attend to it, like we forget to comb our hair or shave or something like that. Maybe that's kind of the analogy that James is giving us here. The Word of God convicts us, and then we don't act on it. But others say that the person in the mirror is the image of God. That is to say, they, are, they see in the Word of God the person that God has made them to be, And what happens is they leave that image and they go off and they forget to let that image shape their life. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that we are being remade into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. We in our society spend a lot of time investing in our image by our material success, through our achievements, how we, present us, how we present ourselves, how others esteem us, all of that is so important to us. Now, for sure, each of these things is a gift, but they are not who we really are. They are gifts in our lives, but they will come and go. They can't do for us what we want them to do for us. Whatever image we have built around these things will not last. But whatever investment you make into growing into the image of Jesus Christ, wherever you have opportunity, that's the image that will last forever. That is your true self that will endure to eternity. In a previous church, in one of the small groups, an older member was in need of a kidney. And for one reason or another, no family member was eligible or able to give their kidney to him. So one of the small group members decided to donate his kidney. This man was middle-aged, married with kids in middle school. He had a lot going on in his life. But he took time off of work, got all the necessary tests done, and for his friend, he went under the surgeon's knife. And afterwards, he had to endure all the pain and struggle that comes from a recovery. When we are bolstering our own image, what we do is we acquire and accumulate more and more things for our benefit. But when we are growing into the image of Jesus Christ, We sacrifice, we shed things for the sake of loving others well. Now, just so you know, I know we are highlighting small groups today. I promise you that if you sign up for one, 
or a connection group, you're not signing up for a kidney donation. I promise. That's not, that's not what you're doing. This isn't going to be a bait and switch. Now, James actually develops this point even further in the, fir- in the third family trait, which is this, that people who are in the family of God have a faith that cares for others. That's what we see in verses 26 and 27. Interestingly, notice how he starts this discussion. He says, it'll show up in how they speak. If anyone thinks he is religious, let him put a tight rein on his tongue. This is what Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the words that we use with others and the words that we use about others reveals whether our faith is genuine One of the ways that the prophet Isaiah talks about the ministry of Jesus is in this way. In Jesus' ministry, he spoke words that sustained the weary. Jesus, in his ministry, what did he use his words for? To sustain those who were weary and broken down. And James is going to develop this theme more in chapter 3. But one of the most important things we can pay attention to as disciples is what is the effect that our words have on other people. Sometimes the truth can prick people and they may not like to hear it. But if we're honest with ourselves, we often find that even the way that we speak truth is rather unwholesome and unhelpful. If we can't use our words to build, James says this to us, we ought to bridle our tongue then. So how we use our tongues is one of the ways that we show that we are in the family of Jesus. But the other way he talks about is how we bring people on the margins closer to the center of the community. James specifically has in mind here orphans and widows and that's what we heard uh, earlier in the Scripture reading from Isaiah 1, 10 through 17. This has always been at the center of who God is and what God wanted His people to be about. In James's day, women who lost their husbands had barely any means to make it, and certainly children without parents were even more at risk. Helping people who are vulnerable can be very complicated. Sometimes the situation demands more time and resources than we can give. Do you know that to be true? And so we fail to give it all. And the point that James is making is that when someone you encounter has a need, in your mindset what, we should, what you should think is, Lord, help me to give what it is that I can give, to respond in a way that resembles your care for them and your care for me. Now, sometimes wisdom demands that we say no or to recognize that that we're not in a position to help. But love always offers whatever it can to help others. In other words, if you don't have the means or it isn't wise to help the person in that way, the question we should ask ourselves is, what would love have me do? What can I do? In love, we can always offer something, even if we can't do everything. 
when Jesus launched his ministry in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, he talked about how God anointed him to bring good news and good works to those who are down and out, that they too would learn that they are recipients of the Lord's favor. Now notice how James asks this community to live this out. Look at the verb he uses there. He says that we are to visit those who are vulnerable. It's the gift of presence. It's the gift of time. There are probably lots of people coming to mind right now who would benefit from a visit or phone call from you because you know they're in a bad place. And if you're like me, you start to think, well, where do I even begin? There isn't enough time. Whatever I do, it will never be enough. I love what Brother Lawrence says about this. He was a 17th century monk who wrote a very important book called Practicing the Presence of God. He says this, We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. It's not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. A little motivated by the love of God goes a long way. So start where you can and let Jesus make of your efforts whatever he wants to make of your efforts. This morning we looked at three character traits of someone who's in the family of God, who has been born again by the power of the Spirit and has become a son of God through Jesus Christ. We've talked about having a pure life, the need for consistent practice, and the call to care for others. And this fall, as we continue in our life together as a church, in the greater body, or in small groups, or even when you go off to the workplace, or you go to your classes on campus, each of us are being called to resemble our older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, the world will know that we are different than all others. And may God give us the grace to demonstrate these traits in whatever place He has called you to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need to learn from you how to be quick to hear. Lord, forgive us that so often we are quick to fulfill our own desires, that we fail to value others and how we listen and attend to them, that we are more preoccupied with building our own kingdoms rather than yours. Lord Jesus, would you help us to resemble you more and more in the most practical ways in our lives. Through the way that we talk with family members on the ride home, how we pay attention to each other around the table, through sacrifices we make at work so that we can be more with those people that you've called us to love first. We ask that you would do this work in us and that we would be motivated not by guilt, but by your lavish grace. We thank you that you do not leave us as we are, 
but you love us so much to make us like yourself, that others would be blessed and that you would be glorified and that the gospel would make more and more an impact in the world. Through your name we pray. Amen.